All right, we got so much sickness around here, they called in the junior varsity substitute. But when you're 71 years old, it's great to be called junior varsity. So we're, we're all in favor of that. I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number six, 608, Stand. We're going to sing the first, the second, and the fourth verses, Anywhere with Jesus, hymn number 608. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere he leads me in this world below. Anywhere without him dearest joys would fade. Anywhere with Jesus I am not afraid. Anywhere, anywhere fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Anywhere with Jesus I am not alone. Other friends may fail me, he is still my own. Though his hands may lead me over dreary ways, anywhere with Jesus is a house of praise. Anywhere, anywhere, Fear I would not know Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go Anywhere with Jesus I can go to sleep Where the darkening shadows round about me creep Knowing I shall waken nevermore to roam Anywhere with Jesus will be home sweet home Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus I can safely go. Amen. Please remain standing. Amen. Appreciate that, Brother Quinlan. And uh, yep, we are still uh, kind of battling, and folks, uh, some folks have uh, recovered and, and bounced back, and others uh, either still have it or they're just now. Uh, getting it, and so uh, just a little bit of flu bug and and stuff going around, and uh, all I can all I can think of is rule number three in ministry: this too shall pass. Amen. And so let's just keep being faithful and trusting the Lord through those things, and uh, Lord will get us through it. And uh, hopefully we'll see all of our people uh, return uh, back. And and uh, but just pray for one another as we go through it. And just like the song said, anywhere we go, there's the Lord Jesus is with us. Amen. And so thankful for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask God's blessing on our uh, services uh, tonight. I'm going to ask Brother David Griffin if you would pray for us tonight, brother. you be seated uh, tonight and uh, of course got a, quite a bit of stuff here and and uh, wanted to mention some things 
uh, just via our um, announcements, of course, this Sunday. Um, excited about uh, this Sunday. We have a couple of things uh, going on uh, in our, uh, uh, in our uh, pastor's class, our adult uh, Sunday school class. Uh, we have three Sundays uh, in the month of December that we're going to be able to have uh, Sunday school. Of course, the fourth Sunday is actually Christmas Day, and so we're not going to be having uh, Sunday school. So Sunday morning, uh, December the 4th, going to be starting uh, just a small uh, series through the month of December and, and looking at uh, the birth of our Savior and just kind of focusing uh, on that and so excited about that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the promise of God to send His Son. Amen. And uh, not only that, but He's not a created being. He's the eternal Son of God. And so excited about that. And so I want to invite you to be here uh, for that. So you'll get a, just a small uh, break in your ABCs of, of Christian growth. And then we'll start that back, uh, certainly the first part uh, or the uh, first of, of next year. And then also this coming Sunday, going to be hosting missionary Kirk King. Uh, he is out of uh, Berean Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri, and him and his wife Bonnie are missionaries to the country of Albania, and so he's going to be preaching Sunday morning, and then also uh, in the Sunday evening service, he'll present the field of Albania and preach uh, as well. And so I know it's a little bit different how we normally do it, but I just want to encourage our people uh, to be here and be in your place. And even Sunday morning, uh, I know you've never uh, met Brother King, but just encourage him and, and, and have a welcoming spirit. He's they're just a good, solid family, veteran, missionary, been over in Albania. Uh, he's, got, he's actually been to Albania uh, on two different, uh, two different times. The first time he was over there, the country got so volatile uh, I want to say, man, I, I want to say he was near some uh, bombing and some grenades going off and things like that and actually had to get out of the country. But ever since then, it's settled down and they've been back over in the country for quite a few years now. And the Lord's really just blessed. They've seen uh, church started. They've seen people get saved and baptized. It's and, and even some men called to preach over there. So pretty exciting uh, ministry there. And so looking forward to having him here uh, with us. Also, uh, this next uh, week, next Tuesday, uh, December the 6th is the ladies meeting and Christmas party. And so my wife has some announcements that I need to make sure that I read uh, for the ladies thing. And uh, sh- her handwriting is a whole lot better than mine. So I can read all this. Amen. Uh, but she she did want to mention this. Number one, uh, ladies bring a gift for a uh, bring a gift for a lady for an exchange, a gift exchange, and then number two, bring a reveal gift for the secret sister for your secret sister that you know secret sister cult thing y'all got over there, uh, and then lastly, it is a potluck, and so make sure that you bring. Uh, something uh, for that. And so ladies, don't forget about that. That's this coming Tuesday night uh, at seven o'clock. And I know our ladies always have a great time and and stuff in that. Sure thankful uh, for the fellowship uh, they get to have. Also, uh, the uh, Christmas program for Faith Baptist School is uh, Tuesday night, December the 13th from seven to nine uh, p.m. And then also uh, December the 14th, We'll be we'll be dismissing at noon, and then that will begin the Christmas break for kids in school. And then also that night, Wednesday, December the fourteenth, is the annual the church annual business meeting, and so I want to invite our members to be here uh, for uh, that. And then uh, Saturday, December the seventeenth, will be our church wide outreach, and Lord willing, be able to do some caroling and things like that. And then December the eighteenth is uh, which is on a Sunday, be our church junior church Christmas program. 
uh, during the morning uh, service, and Brother Dave Hardy is going to be here preaching uh, that day, uh, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then, of course, Christmas, don't forget about that, falls on a Sunday, and so we'll be having one service that day, 1030 in the morning. And, uh, of course, if you don't, uh, if you will be passing out the bulletins for December, but uh, this coming Sunday, so make sure that you get all that. That way you have all of that uh, in there. All right, uh, let's go ahead tonight and let's get our prayer list out and uh, go through those uh, tonight. And of course, uh, you know, the big thing is uh, the sickness uh, that has been going uh, around. And so just wanted to mention a few of those uh, tonight. Uh, do have it on our prayer list there under health. In the second column there at the bottom, just sickness. Uh, there's so many names, and so I'll just give you those. Uh, tonight, if you would pray, continue to pray for Gary and Angel Waters, uh, and also Miss Marie Christian, uh, still uh, kind of battling it. Uh, also, the McRae family, uh, Miss. Uh, so, Brother Roy had it at first and healed up, and then Miss Sue got it, and Lauren got it, and they have now healed up, and Brother Ro- Brother Roy has got it again. And so, pray for uh, Brother Roy. I told Miss Sue to tell him to quit milking it out. Amen. And uh, she she just laughed and. Uh, but uh, do pray for Brother Roy. He's just battling this stuff, and I know he's miserable, so pray for him. Also, Miss Laura Quinlan, uh, if you would pray for her. Uh, Seth and Christy Wisdom, uh, their girls have had it. Now him and Christy uh, have it. Uh, of course, good to see Brother Steve uh, Parker here tonight, but pray for Miss Mary. They both have had it. Brother Steve's feeling better. Of course, Miss Mary's still battling that. Also, Miss Elaine Hodges, good to see her here uh, tonight. And then uh, Brother Eric Watson, his family, I know they've been battling it. They're here uh, tonight, and uh, but he's still kind of struggling with stuff. The Crawford family, the Kennedys, I think they're all healed up and all back, and so thankful for that. Continue do, also to pray for Dan Wills, Dan and Lynn Wills, and their kids uh, that have had uh, they actually had RSV, and that's a pretty serious stuff there for those little ones there, and so pray uh, for them. And then, of course, uh, our family, it hit our family uh, uh, yesterday. Emily started running a fever, and then Luke got uh, sick as well, and so they're at home uh, tonight. And then we've just had several kids in our school and, and stuff like that. So I think I've got it about everybody. I don't. Uh, I just basically went through our church membership, went, yep, they're sick, yep, they're sick, yep, they're sick, and so... But again, you know, this too shall pass. We just need to continue to pray uh, for one another. Did just want to update you on a few things on our prayer list. I mentioned Sunday, pray, continue to pray for Miss Carolyn Moore over the Thanksgiving holiday. She had to have a pacemaker uh, put in. She actually collapsed Wednesday, and, and uh, when they did some tests, they figured out it was her heart. She needed a pacemaker. They were able to get it in Wednesday night, and then I believe by Thursday, late afternoon, she was able to get out and be home with her family for Thanksgiving. Do continue to pray for Alvin Bailey. That's Miss Jessica Bailey's grandpa with lymphoma and still uh, just struggling with a multitude of health issues because of that. Uh, also, uh, praise the Lord, uh, Miss Sue Nugent had her hand surgery last week, and she's doing really good, so we were able to take her off uh, the prayer list. And then we uh, added on there just a couple, Brother Colton Kirks having an MRI, and so if you would pray for that. And then also Joey Wolf, uh, Joe Wolf, that's Miss Sherry Griffin's brother, had a detached retina in one eye and is going to have to, they're going to do a procedure on his other eye to make sure that it doesn't happen to that eye. And so it has, he did it today. Okay, so pray for that and the recovery uh, there. And then do have some that we need to add on. Of course, continue to pray for families that are traveling I saw Brother Don uh, came in, and then he's uh, flying out uh, to Canada, and so pray 
uh, for him as he travels this week. Also, the Waters family asked if we would add on there a little girl, Rayleigh Daniels, uh, R-A-Y-L-E-E, Daniels. She's a three and a half month old and had to be life flighted to Wichita. And so a pretty dangerous situation uh, there. And then Brother Joe uh, Quinlan had a prayer request if we could add a man by the name of Rhett Miller, R-H-E-T-T Miller. Um, and this is a, his co-worker and his father-in-law has suffered several strokes and has not regained conscious and actually came to Brother Joe tonight, said, you going to church? He said, yeah, could you add my dad on there? And so uh, let's pray for the Miller family and for Rhett and that situation. Also had a praise tonight from Brother uh, Gary Clark. Uh, Miss Shirley Duggar that's in the first column there at the bottom. Uh, sure thankful um, uh, that she had her uh, the surgery uh, a week before last, I believe it was, and has been recovering. And they, got, uh, they went back in today uh, for some test results following the surgery. And the doctor said he thinks they got it all. So praise the Lord for that. And so his, uh, her husband, Bobby Duggar, uh, wanted to let our church know, thank you for praying. And so let's continue to pray, though, that uh, she kind of recovers from that. And then, Lord willing, hopefully we can take her off the prayer list. But that's a real blessing there. Amen. Uh, a couple of other things tonight. I'll mention this later on, but in our, our missions on the back there, our missionaries, we have our foreign and home missions that we support. If you could pray for the Shane and Tammy Mallard family that's that are in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. They are actually, uh, uh, they were actually going to Australia and the Lord just kind of closed that door because Australia would not allow them into the country and uh, Brother Shane is uh, from the boot hill of Missouri and has always been burdened for that area and so just felt like, well, if the Lord's not going to let us go there, maybe he'll let us go to Poplar Bluff, Missouri and plant a church and the Lord opened that door. And so they are actually starting services for Liberty Baptist Church this coming Sunday, December the 4th. And so pretty exciting uh, there. Also wanted to ask if we could pray for Kent and Kathy Hogan, our missionaries to uh, Israel. Uh, they actually got over to the country uh, last week. They flew in, and all of a sudden, the uh, ministry of, um, I can't remember what he said, the ministry of, I don't wasn't the ministry of defense or ministry, uh, whatever, uh, foreign affairs, I think it is, uh, kind of threw a curveball at them and said, well, you don't have this particular paperwork, and they, they, they knew nothing about the paperwork that, that was necessary. Their lawyer uh, knew nothing, she knew nothing about the paperwork that was necessary. So long story short, they would not allow them to fill out that paperwork while they're in the airport to allow them in the country. They made them fly back to the States. And so just uh, very heartbreaking. I talked to him uh, actually this past Sunday, and uh, he said, brother, it took me about three days to get over it. And I said, man, I, I can imagine because it's very frustrating. And so now they're back to square one. They're waiting on the, they're refiling all of their paperwork as well as this paperwork that they were missing. And then now they also have to save up uh, their pennies for plane tickets back, which are quite expensive. Of course, as many of you know, everything's going up, but also plane tickets to fly to a foreign country is incredibly expensive. And so here's what I here's what I asked him. I my desire was that I would kind of have uh so just some downtime from from preaching uh through the month of December. And so I had December the 4th and I had December the uh 18th uh filled and I had a spot open for December the 11th and I said, "Would you come 
and preach for us December the 11th. And while you're here, we can be an encouragement to you. And so uh, he said, as long as they don't call and say the paperwork's in and I'm going back, I'll be there. So um, let's just, here's what, I, here's what I think would be a good idea. That when Brother Hogan comes, well, we'll help him with some Andy's frozen custard, some sweet cream pancakes, you know, things like that, for, good for his diabetes. That was a joke, all right. But uh, I think it'd be good if maybe we could, you know, give them an extra couple of thousand dollars to help with our plane tickets and, and stuff like that. So uh, we'll vote on that stuff whenever they're here and just try to be a blessing to them. But I just that's my heart. All right. And I just wanted to share that with you uh, tonight. And just maybe when him and Miss Kathy come, we could just love on them and encourage them. I can't imagine. This is what I said to him. I said, brother. That is God's chosen people, and, and I, surely you didn't think the devil was going to make this easy. But I understand. I mean, it's, it is. It's, I can't imagine the discouragement, the anger, and the frustration. And so let's just pray for them uh, tonight as well. So, All right, that's a lot of prayer requests and stuff tonight. But uh, do you have anything tonight that we need maybe to update or a request or anything, Brother, Brother Griffin? Okay. Mm. Inoperable brain cancer. And is this, a, do you know if they're a Christian family, they're a saved family? Okay. Okay, so that's Carrie Sheely. How do you say, Carrie, is it C A R? K E R R Y? Okay. A-E-R-R-Y. All right, so that's Carrie Sheely and inoperable brain cancer, and she's a mother of seven, so mercy. All right, so let's pray for that family. Pray, let's pray for her, but let's also pray for that family. And, and uh, well, we, I, I know, you know, uh, we know the God of miracles, amen. So anybody else tonight want to have a prayer request or an update? Brother Bellis? Okay. Yep. Okay. All right. Anybody else tonight? Okay, Ms. Zodi. Okay, so this is Finley Owen, right? Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, so let's pray for uh, this, this fellow here. Finley Owen and spinal surgery, okay? All right, we'll add him on there. So, Anybody else tonight? Okay, let's have our men... Uh, come tonight and uh, just a lot of burdens and, and prayer requests and our missionaries and church planners, um, our country tonight, and uh, let's, uh, let's pray for these things, absolutely. So.
Brother C.J. Reeves, would you pray for us uh, tonight? Well, Brother Tim's preaching tonight, so I'm doing the missions update. Amen. Uh, tonight, our update comes from Lance and Leah uh, Patterson, our missionaries there in uh, the Philippines. And so he writes uh, tonight, Thanksgiving's, uh, Thanksgiving greetings from the Philippines. In the last three months, we've been sloshing through some of the heaviest typhoon and monsoonal rains we've ever seen this late uh, in the year. It held up our building program in the Aida Village but we are in place to start putting up a storage shed and then a kitchen and children's Sunday school wing. We're still waiting for a little letter of approval to connect an electric line 
so that we can light up the property and hold evening uh, services. And pretty exciting stuff there, amen. And uh, I don't know, uh, I think about the building that we have, and I, I think we ought to be thankful, amen. Uh, he goes on and says, since our last letter, seven have been saved, and 16 have been through a baptismal class. And the problem is coordinating a baptismal service. The river by the village is dirty with refuse, and the clean river is three kilometers away. And so getting everyone together at the same time has been a challenge. Mercy, Baptists are like herding cats, aren't they? Uh, he goes on and writes, Leah's aunt, uh, Judith in uh, Negros, just turned 90. She fell and broke her hip, and so Leah went, uh, went with her mom and other relatives uh, and helped look after her, and she is recovering but very weak. And while they were gone, I preached in Tagalog to the Aedas, and it went pretty well, and I think they enjoyed my bumbling through it. Uh, this week, we purchased food supplies for a Christmas banquet in December, and the last banquet we held had over 200 attend. And so we are preparing for uh, the same. Thank you all for your prayers and support. We pray for you all. Uh, we pray for all of, of you, God's richest blessings in this season of Thanksgiving. And a very Merry Christmas, Brother Lance uh, Patterson. And so let's pray tonight uh, for our missionaries and certainly the Patterson family uh, in the Philippines. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight. Lord, thank you for your blessings and your goodness and, and your grace to us. And, and just thankful, Lord, that we can gather together as God's people and we can pray. Lord, we can pray uh, for burdens and, and uh, battling through sicknesses and, and health issues, people that are lost and need to be saved, our, our country. Uh, Lord, we can certainly pray for all of these things. And just so thankful tonight that we can lift up to you our missionaries as well, and just dear pastors and preachers, Lord, that are serving you all over this world. And, and Lord, just thankful tonight, thankful for the ministries, Lord, that are going on in the Philippines tonight. I, I, think, of, um, I think of the Mislin family, I think of the Trimbles, Lord, that are serving there, and Lord, a host of other dear ones. I, I think of Miss Pam Quinlan, Lord, and, and just still faithfully ministering to those at Mountain View Bible Baptist Church. And Lord, what a legacy there and the dear pastor that's there now and just God just asking that you would give them grace as well. And, and Lord, we certainly think of Lance and, and Leah and Ethan Patterson tonight. Just God just can give them grace and the ministries there and, and just continue to bless them, Lord. I think about this Christmas dinner that's coming up and I know they're going to use it to preach the gospel. And I just pray that people would continue to hear the gospel and be saved in that country. I sure think of the Mallard family tonight going to Poplar Bluff. And Lord, already there and getting situated, got a place to meet. I know they're anticipating, Lord, this coming Sunday. And God, just praying, Lord, that they would see a host of families gathered together there, people that need the gospel, people that need a good, solid church home. And God, I pray that you'd bless them. And Lord, I know that their heart was to go to Australia. And Lord, you closed that door. But Lord, you've opened another one. And I pray that you'd, you'd show yourself mighty in this. And God, you would bless in that. I pray for the Kent and Kathy Hogan tonight too, Lord, and I pray that you'd encourage them and strengthen them. I think of the kings that are going to be here with us, Brother Kirk, Lord, this coming Sunday, and just praying, Lord, you'd give him the messages we need to hear. And Lord, just excited about this month and, and having these dear preachers come and just to be an encouragement to them. And help us, Lord, as your people to be faithful in our place. And, and God, just looking for you to speak and to use these men and Lord, just praying that people would continue to hear the gospel and be saved. Lord, that's, that's what we need. That's what our country needs. God, help us tonight. We need you. 
Pray that you'd give grace in these things. I pray for Brother Tim as he preaches, Lord, tonight. You just give him the words to say, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Brother Quinlan, won't you come ahead tonight? I'm going to ask you to turn to hymn number 602, please. And then let's all stand for our last song. We're going to sing the first, the second, and the fourth verses, Stepping in the Light, hymn number 602. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow our Savior and King, shaping our lives by His blessed example. Happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light. Stepping in the light, how beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Pressing more closely to Him who is leading, when we are tempted to turn from the way. Trusting the arm that is strong to defend us, happy, how happy our praises each day. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, upward, still upward, we'll follow our guide. When we shall see him, the King, in his beauty, happy, how happy, our place at his side. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light. Stepping in the light, how beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Amen. Amen. Remain standing. Get your Bibles out ready for the service now. We're going to be in, you may have guessed it, 1 Peter chapter 3. I think I mentioned last time, it doesn't feel to me like it's been that long uh, since we started this series, but it's been at least, I want to say, the end of last year or maybe the beginning of this year. It's been at least several months as we've been going through here. So First Peter chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 8. Uh, we dealt with verses 8 through 12 uh, last message here a month or so ago. And we're primarily going to be focusing on verses 13 through 17, but I think we're going to start in verse 8, add a little bit of context, a little bit of background for what we'll be dealing with tonight. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. I want you to remember that, because that's going to come in later on, that ye should inherit a blessing. Verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. 
Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So verses 8 through 12, we'll get to the rest of it here in just a second. Verses 8 through 12 have primarily to do with the general actions of the believer. Those who proclaim to be followers of Christ are called, it's not optional, but you've been called to respond to life's situations differently. Those who are slaves to sin are going to respond one way, but those who are slaves to Christ should respond differently. I think we heard a message about that just just this past Sunday. It is such a calling that Peter specifically quotes Psalm chapter 34 here in verses 10 through 12 to make it very clear that God is against those who live wickedly. And we are so wicked, we are so self, uh, self-centered, so selfish, so willing to pass the blame that oftentimes, as much as possible, we'll try to push it onto something else. And so I talked about last time how the, the preacher will get up and, I mean, he'll, he'll have a laser-straight message pointed right at us. And we, at the end, go, whew, I'm glad he pointed it at somebody else. <laughs> Completely missed the fact that, no, it was pointed right at us. Well, not that he's going around saying, thinking to himself, okay, who do I need to point this message at? But that the Holy Spirit is really doing the aiming here. We think that God will be neutral toward, toward our actions when we put on a good show. But the fact remains that God's face is set against those who live wickedly. And the context here clearly, clearly bears out that if your life doesn't line up there with verses 8 and 9, you're part of that wicked group. And I certainly don't want to live my life, though a child of God, with God's face set against me. And of course, we learned back in chapter 1 that God, as a loving Father, will discipline His children. You cannot expect God to bless you when you aren't compassionate to your fellow Christians. You can't expect God to bless you when you return insults for insults, when you let pride rule your responses. Then we get to verse 13. Peter says, And who is he that will harm you? If ye be followers of that which is good, but, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience. That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, which is to say that they are speaking evil, they are not necessarily thinking of themselves as the evildoers speaking. They are talking of you like you are the evildoer. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. I titled the message this evening, The Eschatological Implications of Living Righteously. I know it's kind of a mouthful, but but I think you'll see, uh, see where we're going here in just a minute. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. And I pray you bless the message this evening and the time we have together. I ask that your spirit would have liberty and that you would... Hide me behind your cross, 
And uh, I pray above all that we would honor and glorify you through this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I certainly don't ever want to take for granted the opportunities to preach the Word of God. I'm certainly thankful to our pastor for uh, letting me to do this. It's always kind of an extra level of, of, of uh, uh, difficulty, if you, <laughs> if you will, when he's here when I'm preaching. So, uh, But uh, I, I certainly appreciate every opportunity I get to preach. So as we talked about already last time, we, we discussed the... The life of the Christian should be one that is characterized by humility. Uh, We talked about there in verse 8 when he says, Love as brethren to be pitiful and be courteous has to do with having a tender heart and an open mind. uh, That that you're not so uh, uh, closed-minded that you're set in your ways and whatever I do is I'm always right and... If you are going to expect an apology from me, you're going to be waiting a while and all that kind of stuff. That's not how the life of a Christian should be characterized. Not that we should just always be apologetic when we are in the right or whatever the case may be, but when it comes to our dealings with people, that we need to have some tact and some grace, some humility. I love the way he says, be courteous. We, we, uh, I think of that as being what we, what we oftentimes to, uh, term today as common courtesy. Well, that's just the common courtesy thing to do. It's really kind of the baseline for where our humility ought to be. And instead of living wickedly like those who are slaves to sin, the follower of Christ should live righteously. And he should also recognize the true blessing of living this way. So he says in verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. We've already seen in chapter 2, if we were to go back to verses 13 and 14 there, how that worldly human governments are required by God to punish evildoers and reward the righteous. the earth's governments are required to, to act and to uh, uh, work righteously. They will be held accountable to, to their Creator one day. Those who are in authority, as well as those, uh, the laws that are enacted, should reflect the righteousness of the Creator. Paul talks about that even in Romans 13. says very much the same thing. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil works. So the believer really shouldn't have to worry about civil government going after him for doing right. There are many examples even of God using those, aren't his, those who aren't his followers to protect, <coughs> pardon me, and to help those who are his followers. In fact, many of you know uh, Brother Greg Smith comes up uh, most every year to, to preach our uh, vacation Bible school. He'll, he'll tell the story of uh, years ago, of course, the buses that they run there in Oklahoma City go in some very rough areas. And uh, he would have this one apartment complex. I mean, some apartment complexes down there are vast. I mean, they could be a couple blocks and just, just building after building after building. You start going into these and visiting kids and, and trying to get kids to ride the bus and all that. And there was one uh, particular complex where he would go in, had several kids that rode the bus there. 
and he was able to make the acquaintance of a man who was apparently well-known in the gangster gang-type world in that area. And he'll, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and he was able to meet this guy, and the guy talked to him about what he was doing. Well, we you know, run the bus through here. He goes, oh, yeah, I've seen that bus before. Okay, well, man, you guys are doing a great work. If you ever have any problems, you just tell, you know, if anybody ever tries to go after you in here or something like that, you just tell them to come talk to me. He said, okay, that, you know, well, that's fine. And he would see the man every so often and say hi and be cordial. Of course, he'd invite him to church. And, but after a little while, he was going through one day, and a couple of guys just started kind of hassling him and, you know, giving him problems. And he was like, guys, I'm just, you know, trying to visit the kids here, riding the bus. And, and they start trying to kind of corner him. And, and finally he says, all right, guys, uh, you know, if you have a problem with me being here, you need to talk to so-and-so. And he dropped this guy's name. And, uh, you know, he said, he said, you need to talk to him if you have a problem with me. And as soon as he said that, the other guys went, all right, well, have a good one and walked away. I mean, we're done. We're out. And he found out, you know, and of course, through that and through other instances, this other guy had some clout, was, you know, kind of a leader in the gang world in that area. And as soon as he had that guy's protection, if you will, nobody else was going to touch him. And probably most of us have heard of situations like that. We, I've heard of uh, missionaries before who go into these far lands and a, a certain tribal leader will say, you have my protection while you're here, and, and those kinds of things. And those are great stories to hear, that God would use people who, though they, they have no desire to follow Christ, and no matter how much it seems that you witness to them and, and uh, invite them to church or give them the gospel, that they would say, no, 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 I don't want to have anything to do with that, but you know, I'm all for you, you have my protection, or I'm, I'm, you know, if you have any problems, you just let me know. But we've also heard those stories of authority figures, and I think governments in particular doing quite the opposite. And in fact, even at this time, from, from the first century church and on, we've heard of many instances where human governments are violently, violently opposed to the work of the gospel and will do whatever it takes. Paul himself would tell you that he was the chiefest of sinners for the persecution that he brought towards the church. So why would Peter make the presumption that those who are doing right shouldn't have to worry about suffering for it? Even many of those to whom he was writing were most certainly suffering at that time for their faith. But this fact isn't lost on Peter. In the very next verse, there in verse 14, he says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. He's not saying, Quit your belly aching, you're not really suffering. In fact, I would go so far as to say, I don't think verse 14 is so much contrasting with verse uh, 13, it's building on verse 13. And so we would say, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. And even in the middle of acknowledging that yes, there could and will be suffering, he would say, happy are ye? In fact, one scholar said, when he asks who would harm them for doing good, the implied answer is no one. More than that, even if you do endure what we might define as suffering, he says, happy are ye. Wait a second. We might, if Peter were here with us, we might say, Peter, you're not making sense here. 
You're saying that, you know, the, the implied answer to those that would harm you for doing good is, is no one, and yet you acknowledge in the very next verse that, well, there is a possibility of suffering for righteousness' sake, and right after that you would say, happy are ye? You're writing this letter to Christians who are much, very much in the throes of persecution. You've already dealt with this at multiple points, yet here you are saying that no one could harm you for living righteously? Well, let's look at this in context. You have to remember what's the overarching theme of this entire letter. One of the things that we've dealt with several times already through the course of this epistle has to do with endurance in persecution. Uh, we, I mean, really from the beginning there of chapter 1 all the way up until now, that has kind of been the, the, in the background of all of this. But it doesn't stop with just endurance in persecution. It has to do with enduring persecution in light of eternity. He's not saying that the follower of Christ will never have to deal with persecution or suffering. Rather, he is saying that those who would harm you on this earth really have no power of themselves. You're safe in the arms of the one who does have the power. You know, both, I don't know if you noticed, I noticed this because I already knew the message tonight, but both of the songs we sang tonight have to do with not having to fear in the face of life's circumstances or in the face of persecution as we f- trying to follow the steps of the Savior. <laughs> the words literally say, happy, how happy. Our place at His side it talks about how happy we can be following Christ, our Savior, But I think we could even put it this way. But and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're blessed. Does that sound familiar? Look back at verse 9. I told you to make note of that. Uh, Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And I think what Peter's saying here is that even in suffering, we must recognize that we're blessed, uh, that we can be happy, that we can be joyful. They can inflict terrible pain and suffering, but they are limited. What they can do is nothing compared to the blessing you are to inherit in Christ. No, I don't want to minimize the persecution that can happen because certainly serious, painful tortures have taken place and will take place and uh, and even probably in this day and places around the world take place to the Christian who's trying to follow Christ. But yet we can look back to those martyrs in the early church who looked at the suffering they went through as nothing compared to the joy they had in Christ. The old American patriot, Obadiah Holmes, who would say, they have beaten me but with roses, as he he was literally bleeding from multiple wounds across his back. Why is that? Well, it didn't hurt at all. No, that's not it but because they recognize that they are blessed to be followers of Christ. That no matter what happened to them on this earth, 
the world to come is really what mattered. Nothing can or will ever take that blessing away. And then in verse 14, the half, back half of verse 14, he says, And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Uh, the end of their, in verse 14 and into verse 15 is a reference to Isaiah chapter 8. And of course, the men in our uh, Sunday evening class, we just went through that recently. In Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, the, the wording of the Greek structure is almost identical to how it's worded in the, uh, would, would be the Septuagint, which is the Greek trans, uh, one of the first Greek translations of the Old Testament uh, that they would have had it that day. And it literally says, where does it say here? Uh, be not afraid, be not afraid of the fear of them, would be a quite literal translation. And there in, in Isaiah chapter 8, in fact, let's go there real quick. I have my little marker there on purpose. In Isaiah chapter 8, God is talking to Isaiah, talking about the uh, alliances between Assyria and the northern kingdom and all that's going on there. And there in verse 12 of Isaiah chapter 8, God tells uh, uh, Isaiah, Say ye not a confederacy to all them to whom this people shall say a confederacy, neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. What he's saying is, no matter how terrible they may seem, no matter how much everyone else is trembling at this army that's coming, at the, the great nation of Assyria, he'll go on to say there in verse 13, sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, let him be your fear. Because ultimately, the earthly armies that were set against them are nothing compared to the fear or compared to the power of the creator of this universe. And I think that really is what Peter is saying here uh, back in 1 Peter chapter 3. I mean, it's almost a direct reference to that. And he's saying is, listen, they don't really have any power compared to the one that you're serving. I think too often in Christianity today, we like to limit the power of God. We might say, well, don't, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand the suffering or the persecution or whatever the case may be. But ultimately, I wonder if you understand the power of your Creator, yeah, uh, the power of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Right. <clears throat> we must recognize that God is the one to fear. In other words, instead of fear, have faith. Amen. I've heard a lot about that these last few years, to put faith over fear. But really, that's the alternative to fear, faith. Uh, so that you would focus your attention on the one who controls these events. In fact, not only should you be able to rest in the fact that whatever terror they may have here on earth pales in comparison to God's power over them, you should also recognize the opportunity this gives you to be a witness to those who are persecuting you. 
Look there at the end of verse 14. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Again, that's a direct quote there from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. And he says this, And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It's so easy for us to be going through life and somebody says, Well, how are you doing? Well, we're just soldiering on. We're just, just, uh, just keeping on, keeping on, and all that kind of stuff. And even those who might be dealing with, with persecution and suffering would say, well, we're dealing with this, but we're just bearing up under the suffering. And for one another, to, that we might all often tell each other, well, you just need to bear up under it and trust the Lord. But Peter doesn't stop there. Peter says, and how are you using this as an opportunity to witness of the hope that's in you? That it's not enough just to bear up under and we're, we're just kind of traipsing through life here and trust in the Lord. Okay, and how is that manifesting itself as a witness to others? <clears throat> this is where the rubber meets the road. Just like the Scriptures never expect a neutral Christian life, you, you can't just have a passive Christian life where I show up and I go to church when I'm supposed to and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm a good employee and I live my life and I don't do anything really bad and I just kind of go through the motions and everything works out just fine. The scriptures aren't okay with that. It's not enough to be a neutral Christian. But in the same way, the scriptures also never expect a passive private, non-witnessing type of Christianity. The prevailing thought today is that your religion should be private. Well, that's your business. Don't bother me with it. It's a matter between you and God or whatever, whatever deity you choose, but that's between you and, and that, and you know, don't involve anybody else with it. But that's not what the Bible bears out. That's not the command of Christ. and In fact, the great commission of the church is that you would go out and be a witness. If you're truly a follower of Christ, you are expected to look for opportunities to sanctify Him. That would be to give the honor and the glory to Him and witness of His grace to others. I love this phrase where he says, uh, uh, there in verse 15, uh, to be all ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. The inward hope of the Christian, the same blessing that has been discussed already, should result in lives so noticeably different that people just have to know what's going on. I think that's why he uses the word happy in verse 14. Happy are ye, ye are blessed. Uh, you can live your life joyful in the worst of circumstances because Christ is your Savior. And you ought to be living that joy in such a way that other people are going, something's different here. People in your circumstance shouldn't be responding the way you're responding. I would expect anger and bitterness and frustration, and yet here is this person who's going through uh, maybe a, a great personal trial such as cancer or, or uh, uh, family issues or, or whatever the case may be, and yet they are smiling. 
Or this person has, has been dealt with, they're picked on and made fun of, and, and the, the persecution that they're dealing with, people don't want to know anything about uh, uh, them or, or their Christianity, or they think they're dumb, or whatever the case may be, and yet here they are, happy, joyful. I've got to know what's going on here. And he says there in verse 16, Having a good conscience. The conscience speaks of the relationship between man and God. That's why your conscience can be clear when the world tells you you're wrong. That's why when everybody else says, oh, it's fine to do that, your conscience can still be pricking you. The, the law of God written on your heart has to do with your relationship between you and your Creator, and your conscience is telling you you're not right with God. Or if you're following Christ and you're living righteously, no matter what anyone else is saying, your conscience can tell you you're right, and you just need to keep going the way you're going. He says there, having a good conscience. And when he says there, meekness, uh, that is in you with meekness and fear, there in ver- the end of verse 15, that's not so much meekness and fear toward others. That has to do with recognizing, having some humility and reverence toward God as you witness. Because there are too many people out there who will go out and witness by yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff, and it accomplishes nothing. But somebody who says, well, let me just tell you about what Jesus did for me. I don't know all of the theological terms, and I don't know every little thing about uh, uh, the, the various aspects of different uh, doctrines that you know, scholars debate back and forth on, but this is what Jesus did for me. It's what He did in my life. To have some meekness and fear, to have a good conscience... But not everyone who hears your message will accept it. We can look at the Apostle Paul and the many times he was hauled before governors and councils. He took every opportunity he could to witness to them their need of a Savior. But how often did his message land on good ground? Not very. More often than not, the simple proclamation of the message of salvation was enough to send these wicked men into a frenzy and accuse him wickedly. Well, we're living in a day where more and more people are calling evil good and good evil. And Peter says that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, which is exactly what I think, I mean, it happens certainly today, but it's going to get worse because you're going to be called evil by the general populace, not just kind of the fringe movements who are way out here, who are, well, they're bad, they're, you know, no, not, not even that kind of thing. It's getting more and more that the general populace is going to be look at Christians and say, they're wrong, they're wicked, they're evil, because they won't get in line with non-binary or trans ideology. Uh, they're, they're the wicked ones because... Uh, They're not going along with so much of what is taught in our schools today. They're the wicked ones. They're evil because they adhere to the scriptural truth that homosexuality is wrong. You're going to hear it more and more. You don't support abortion? How could you? I've heard a lot of that lately. But ultimately, you're not answering to them. You're going to answer to your Creator... And so will they. 
Whereas they speak evil of you, much like they would speak of any evildoers, ultimately they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. Now look at verse 17. He says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now, verse 17 almost seems a little off. It almost seems like it's just there, but, I mean, obviously it ties in. It's kind of summation of what Peter's talking about the past few verses. But, but it just, there's something that doesn't quite seem like, like maybe it wasn't all that important to the passage. I mean, we, we've kind of already dealt with all this. So why is Peter writing verse 17 here? It'd be easy to write it off as a simple truism that just kind of sums up what's already been talked about. But I think to do that, we would not do it justice. Because verse 17 isn't just a summation of what Peter's talked about in the last few verses. I mean, we've already seen that Peter isn't in the habit of writing simply to fill some paper. This verse, and I think kind of ties it all together, that this verse reminds us of the eschatological implications of suffering. You might say, well, how so? Well, the New Testament very much has a theology of suffering. To follow Christ is to take part in His sufferings. That's why we shouldn't be surprised when we face persecution, when you're made fun of for Christ's sake. But the sufferings of this present world are nothing compared to the suffering that awaits the unbelievers after this world. There's this type of proverb called a better proverb. And there are examples of that throughout the Scriptures. It's better to... uh, um, I didn't write it down, and now I'm regretting it because I thought I would just remember it right off the top of my head, and I'm not going to. But it's better that a a millstone be hanged about your neck than to to, uh, uh, hurt little children or those those kinds of proverbs, if you will. And I think really that's that's what Peter is doing here. He says, For it is better, if the will, be, will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And I think the idea is, it's better to suffer for doing right now than to suffer for doing wrong later. A little suffering with Christ here in this world is a much better option than eternal suffering apart from Christ. Suffering while living righteously is a powerful witness to those who need Jesus. But more than that, it will lead to vindication at the last day. Of course, we've already talked about that even back in chapter 1. That those who endure through, uh, have patience in tribulation and that we would just trust Christ and follow Him, that one day all of the suffering and persecution on this earth will result in vindication to those who follow Christ. Remember how I mentioned earlier that both the saved and the lost will stand before God in the judgment. Look back at the second half of verse 16. uh, That whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. I don't think... Peter, pardon me, I don't think Peter is speaking of these unbelievers, the ones who are treating you as the evildoer, experiencing shame in this life, because chances are they won't. Uh, chances are that they're not going to uh, make fun of you, persecute you, ridicule, whatever the case may be, and then turn around and everybody else is looking at them like you're being the bad guy. No, we're going to see more and more of everybody in, uh, reveling in that and rejoicing in that. 
But what he's saying is that those who see your good testimony and still reject Christ will be ashamed when they stand before him. In other words, you may be suffering now for following Christ, but those who reject him will suffer for all of eternity. This proclamation does two things. First, it reminds us that enduring trials in this life will be worth it when we stand before Christ. Secondly, it prods us to be the witnesses we should be, even if our co-workers will make fun of us. Uh, even if the other kids at school uh, think we're weird and don't want to have anything to do with us. Even if we take it to the next step and we're called evil by those who are following with whatever trends are going on today. They will stand before Him one day and they will face the shame of their sin. You hear a lot about that. Well, you're just shaming people. You're just, just we shouldn't be shamed about this. You shouldn't be ashamed about that or, or, or whatever the case may be. But the fact of the matter is, there are some things we should be ashamed of. Uh, shame is a necessary part of learning that we are wrong and that we need to follow Christ. And to say that, well, we shouldn't have to deal with shame or you're wrong for shaming somebody, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, is to say that God is wrong for the rules that He has put in place. But the one day, or the day will come when they and we will stand before God and they, no matter what they, will go, or what they try to do here on earth, will be ashamed for rejecting Christ. So how's your witness? When you're going through life's trials or when you're going through sufferings or persecution, are you looking for opportunities to witness that other people would see the joy in your life and wonder, how are they doing that? How could they possibly be smiling in this situation? It's easy to get caught up in all the events and circumstances of the world, but don't forget about the world to come. Remember, we saw in, uh, early on in chapter 2 that we are representatives of Christ's kingdom on this earth. So how are you representing Him? How are you showing His joy in your life? How are you responding when something doesn't go your way or when someone calls you an evildoer? You know, I don't have to argue with somebody that's going to call me an evildoer, pardon me, for trying to live righteously. What I have to do is show them that they have a Savior who loves them and cares for them, and they can trust in Him just like I did. And they, they may never accept it, but it's my responsibility to be a witness. So how's your witness? Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your grace.